Welcome to the North Rock Church Podcast. For more great content and updates, visit northrockchurch.com. Enjoy the message. You like that uh, sermon series title, huh? What's happening to my church? Um, here's how that got came about. Uh, uh, when we announced some of the uh, structural changes that we were going to have to make at North Rock due to finances, we, uh, and we kind of made those announcements with uh, staffing and moving to one service and et cetera, uh, I, did get, I did hear from a couple people kind of going, what's, what's happening to the church? And I get it. I do. But I wanted to have a chance to talk that through with you. Uh, not just our specific church, North Rock, but also the church uh, on on a large scale here in North America, and um, and like explore how that there are certain challenges that are emerging, but now with those challenges, opportunities. Okay, uh, but before do we do that, let's pray. Okay, so God, uh, come now, Holy Spirit, come in power with full assurance, enlivening within us an ability to hear. Your word to us this morning. And hearing that word, may we perceive what you have to say. And in perceiving, may we move beyond just perception, but to faith and trust in that word, so that we might be changed, transformed from the inside out into the image of your son, Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray, saying, Amen. I do want to say that with the restructuring and the moving to one service, the worship team apparently decided we're going to fill up that extra space. <laughs> Not giving me a lot. So, you guys. So, so uh, what's going on with the church? Um, is this working? Yes. Okay. So, what's going on with the church? Uh, I'd like to suggest to you, uh, I want to use a metaphor, an image that I think helps us make sense of what's happening just on the macro level. And this comes from a book that uh, the, the staff read over the summer this last year titled Canoeing the Mountains. And that title comes from this imagery of the story uh, of Lewis and Clark in their journey across North America. Are you with me on that? Are you familiar with that story? So here's how the story goes. Thomas Jefferson wanted to map out uh, the rest of the North American continent. They were thinking in terms of expansion and braving new territory, and he lists some buddies uh, his old pals, Lewis and Clark, to make that journey. And, and so when they decided to head out, they had a path that they wanted to trek to get to the uh, Pacific coast. Now, this is the path that they ultimately took. You can see that it's, it takes them up over and through Oregon. You know, remember the Oregon Trail? Did you ever play that game when you're... Yeah, that's where... It all comes from here, Okay. But you need to know this, that before they set out, this is the map that they had in mind of what the, the, the continent looked like. You see the difference? Up into the, the Midwest with like uh, the, some of the Great Lakes and whatnot, they just really didn't know anything beyond that. So when they began to set out to traver, traverse that, the continent, they prepared, given what they knew, they prepared for that journey given what they already knew. Are you with me? And what did they know? They knew the Appalachian Mountains and, that were f- f- nice rolling hills and long rivers that you could canoe 
gently downstream or even upstream to cross a lot of territory quickly. Are you, are you understanding that? And so, like, they would load up their, they loaded up their gear, their canoes and all, and they prepared for this long trek because they assumed that just as it is here, it's going to be like this all the way across the continent. And then they set out, and they, and it was all going good through the Midwest until what happened? And what do you do when you run into this? You either, when you're off the map like this and encountering something that you've never encountered before, you either turn around and go back or you rethink how you're going to traverse that range. You develop new skills, new abilities, new ways of engaging the journey, the mission, accomplishing the mission, okay? May I suggest to you that this metaphor is perfect for what the church is now encountering. We're getting close to getting off the map. And it may even feel like we already are, but I'm telling you, we don't even know yet. If I'm being real. We don't even know yet. We're about to hit the Rockies, and we're, we're trying, to, and the church right now, some, not everyone yet, but increasingly, everyone will be thinking, you know what? What worked before is, doesn't prepare me for what, how to do this thing now. And this is what we kind of heard a few weeks ago when Ryan reminded us, hey, like, let's not go back to Egypt, Right? We, let's not go back to the old thing, something new, okay? I'd like to suggest, and not just the church, I would suggest to you our whole culture is getting off the map. We're, uh, we're like traversing new territory that we haven't ever encountered before. And it's going to require creativity, ingenuity, fresh new thinking, and uh, thinking about what is possible if we're going to get over that range, Okay? Uh, when I preached last a few weeks ago, I, I shared with you about how, uh, one of the words that has been spoken and prayed over our church consistently for the last three years is this passage from Isaiah 43, uh, verse 19, where it says, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, that is p- positive and uplifting and everything, right? But when you're dealing with, when you, you have the responsibility of leading a community like North Rock, a church, uh, into new things, it's scary. There are a lot of pressures. I don't know if you know what it's like to carry the weight of that pressure. And I, I know that you pray for your leadership, but I just want to remind you, it's hard. It's a hard, gut-wrenching thing when you're looking at the bank account and you're looking at staffing and you're looking at the facility and you're caring for everybody in the room and everyone who's not in the room. You know, you know what I mean? It's hard. And that's sometimes a scary thing when you're looking at all, that, all the numbers and the metrics and you're going, what are we doing? Are we failing right now? 
And then God, and you, and you pray and you, you do the best practices and you engage and you lead and then you pray some more. And here's what you hear back from God. Wait. Don't do anything. Watch what I'm about to do. That's hard, guys, to hear that. I do want to say right now that your pastor, Chad, has been doing that. Everything in him tells him to say, I got to white knuckle this thing. I got to um, figure this out. Let's search for all the ways that it's working out there. And yet he's being responsive to what God has said. Wait, watch what I'm about to do. And not just him, the whole leadership team. And I have a feeling even you guys, you're here still, you know? You're here. Um, That means like you haven't, you you don't know the answers, but you're going to keep showing up. I like to say this, Woody Allen, what, you remember what he says? 80% of success in life is? Showing up. So watch what I'm about to do. So I thought I'd share with you a quick story from the Old Testament on how God works to show up in his people's life. This story comes from Judges. It's the story of Gideon. Are you familiar with this story? Here's how it goes. When the Israelites, this is Judges 6, 7 through 10, and I'm not going to read the whole everything, but I want to just highlight this. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them, uh, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Now, this is right in the, this word is coming to them as they're freaking out because they're beset by all the enemies. And they're watching, they're feeling all the pressure. And God's basically saying to them, Wait, watch what I'm about to do. Don't you remember what I did for you before? Remember how I brought you up out of Egypt? Remember how I brought you through the wilderness? Remember how I established you in the land? Now, watch. This doesn't look great for you right now, but watch what I'm about to do. It goes on in, um, in chapter 7. It says, early in the morning, Jerob Baal, that is Gideon, and all his men uh, camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moriah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands. Or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me, they would say. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. That was a downsizing. (laughs) Did you pick up on that, though? So Gideon is kind of commissioned by God to to work as his servant to rescue the people. And the word goes out, and everyone's ready for the revolution. They all show up, and God does what? He says, oh, you know what? If we go forward with this as it is, you're going to think you did this. Let's, um, 
let's thin the, let's call the herd, <laughs> right? Let's thin out those that are a weak need, right? Goes on. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told them, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from um, cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. Now, I don't know what all that's about, like the lapping. I really don't. As all my study... I don't know what that means. Oh, is, is that what it is? Yeah. But here's the result. The Lord said to get in with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept 300. Story goes on that with the 300, they rescue the people. They drive out the Midianites. And for a generation, people are reminded to turn back to the Lord. Because of what God had done in and through his people. Watch what I'm about to do. See... We're headed off the map, church in the United States. Um, We're about to brave new territory, and we don't yet know what that looks like, really. We don't. Everything's changing. I've used this example before, but uh, it's only been a little over 10 years since this showed up. And this thing has changed so much of how our culture operates, so much how you and I function so, like our, from like the little things that were uh, to the big things to the things we're aware of to the things that we're not aware of, and that's just technology. And with technology, there's changing in values and ideas and vision and worldview, and it's just. It, I don't know if you ever feel this way, but some you feel like everything's changing, but you don't have a sense for exactly how and what. It just you're just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what is going on? I'm still holding out against Facebook, but I'm getting better at it, dude. But see, here's the thing. Even that's old. By the time I catch up to that. I'm going to throw out some statistics that show you what's, ha- what's happening. Okay? Don't, you're going to be tempted to get bummed out. But I'm telling you. I see opportunity here. Watch. In 2016, Christians represented 73% of the total population. That's just people just who self-identified as Christians. Whether they went to church or not or any of that stuff. Just 73%. 2019, just three years later, is now at 65% of the total population. Now, statistically, they've been looking at the erosion of Christianity in the, in the United States as 1% uh, every year. But if you look at just in the last three years, we're looking at 3%. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but on the scale 
of the United States. It's massive. Let me show you what I mean. Watch the, the Presbyterians. You know who know this best? The Presbyterians. <laughs> the Presbyterian church has had the, the sharpest decline in church men- membership. Between 2000 and 2015, they lost over 40% of their congregation. Like the total amount of people attending their churches. And 15% of the actual buildings, or churches, institutions. 40%, almost half. That's why I got off that boat, let me just say. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I'm just saying I know what I'm talking about here, okay? The best estimate amongst researchers, and this is the 1%. This is the saying that we're, what 1% loss looks like year after year. Is 3,580 to 7,700 congregations closing a year, which works out to about 75 to 150 congregations a week closing their doors. That freak you out a little bit? It's hard when you, th- you look at the thing that you th- you've given your life to and you get behind it and you're saying, wait a second, like it's just eroding. It's just going away. That's scary. I understand that. I get it. It's, this, this has been exacerbated by the changes in culture. For a long time, the church was kind of set at the center of the cultural conversation. This is what we call Christendom. Okay? Christendom is when you fuse the larger culture with the institutional church. And in that context, the church experiences the benefit of feeling propped up. It gets privileged status. Whether or not it's acknowledged like at the, insti- at the governmental level, it's the folk religion of the community. So in that day, when you built a new community, you'd put a church, plant a church right in the middle of it because everyone would go. But you would go to the church because that's what a good, upstanding, right, morally right-minded person does. A civic-minded person just goes to church in that context. But that, what we're seeing is that's now going away. That's just disappearing quickly. And as a result, it kind of puts all the institutional systems that have been put in place over decades, if not a century, now under threat. Okay? And some of that is because of culture. I want to show with you real quickly how the culture is changing. So let's talk about the modern society. Modern society, and this comes from uh, Daryl Guder's book, The Missional Church, which I read at seminary 20 years ago, and he had written 10 years before that, okay? So this is 30 years ago that they're writing this stuff. But this also cued me in on what's happening and where things are going, okay? He says, "The, the modern society is defined by urbanized life with complex patterns of social relationships, Multiple tasks and responsibilities that fragment time and space. An economy shaped and driven by technology and its advances. Job, career, and identity defined by professionalized roles and skills. So like the professionalization of our job life. 
submerged racial and ethnic identities in a stewpot society, the pervasive influence of change and obsolescence, that means like it just no longer matters, Uh, bureaucratic organizations run by rules and policies, individualized moral values concerning matters like divorce and sexuality, radical forms of individuality producing isolation and aloneness, hunger for some overarching story to give meaning and structure to life. Does that ring a bell? Can you relate to that world that is being presented to you right now? Now watch this. The postmodern condition. There's an under... So if that's the modern life, the postmodern condition, the existential experience of how we live, looks like this. Endless choices made available by technology. Loss of shared experiences. Meanings conveyed as surfaces and images, a visual life. Transient relationships. Plurality of approaches to sexual expression and experience. Increasingly two-tiered economy with many dead-end jobs, the haves and the haves-nots. Personal spirituality without the need of organized religion. Random violence and clashes between cultures. Feelings of anger or resentment because somebody's left us behind or with a mess. Now, does that ring a bell? I mean, that's, that's reading our newspaper. And that's from 30 years ago. Written 30 years ago. So what does this mean? It means we're headed off the map. All the things that we have kind of built, the structure, the life, the everything, the way we do church, is now being done in this context. And as a result, it is, it's the equivalent of hitting the Rocky Mountains and having to rethink and not just assume and take for granted our privileged place. I would like to argue that while Christendom, I would say, was generally good for the culture, it elevated the culture. The, the fusing of Christian worldview and, the, and everything else, the larger culture, while that was of benefit, I think, to a lot of Western culture, it made the church fat and lazy. And as it recedes or pulls back, it's calling for a leaner and meaner Christian community that has a sense of mission and purpose rather than just being more consumers of spiritual goods and services. Are are you hearing me? Okay, so then we acknowledge that there's possibility. But what happens when we are off the map? We find ourselves, all of us do this, we find ourselves looking for a guide. When we read that book, uh, Canoeing the Mountains, I got so pissed off. (laughs) I really did. I was all worked up. Ask everybody on staff. Because, yeah, so what she had just, I was like, I was reading it. It was written by the Presbyterian uh, pastor who who had done all the consulting and, and knew, had read all the same people that I had read and was speaking my language. I mean, I felt like I could have written that book. But the thing is, he ultimately went to teach at a seminary. 
because it's harder to figure out how to get across the mountains. It's easier to talk about trying to get across the mountains than getting over there and coming back and telling everyone, here's the way. And for me, as someone who's been spent, spent the last 10, 15 years of his life, I've been thinking and working. I could speak the same language as him, and I was feeling just as lost as 10 years ago. Like, we read that book, and we thought, yeah, we're doing that. And we're doing that. And we're doing that. And we're doing that. And yet, we're still under pressure. You know? That's like a defeating experience. I was looking for a guide. I wanted to see where it worked, where we could take a traditional church and shift it towards a missional mindset that was lean and mean and ready to take on the challenges of what's coming down the pike. And up until that point, I, hadn't, I haven't seen it anywhere. And so I wanted some success story that could point the way. And it wasn't out there. And it was frustrating. Because you get scared, right? And it was almost like God had to remind me, hey, Gideon, watch what I'm about to do. See, if you figured this thing out, you'd be, with all your brains, you'd, like, think that it was you who knew how to chart that course. I'm your guide. Jesus was saying, I'm your guide. Follow me. Fix your eyes on me. I'll get you across the mountain range. I needed to hear that. I needed to remind, remind myself that Christ builds his church. In Matthew 16, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? What, what's the word out there? What's being talked about right now about me? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. You know, all the people that they knew who had come before. Did you get that? They were liking him to what had come before. What they knew. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. That claim that you just made of me being the Christ, that's not your work. That's God speaking through you. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this, Peter means rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Uh, Christ builds his church. And if you notice, the gates of Hades, death, the gates of death, uh, the gates are defensive. Right? The gates of death will not uh, withstand the mission of the church. You might feel embattled right now, church, but you're on the offensive in Christ Jesus. (laughs) 
And so when we're kind of looking for a guide and we turn, fix our eyes on Christ, you know, I just want to say this. I'm going to reference Carl Barth in a second because I can't, like, preach a sermon without doing that. <laughs> but I'm going to uh, reference him right now. He's, he, he was a funny guy. He used to say, you know, the church must be a miracle, a work of God, given that it's still here and given who it's made up of. And isn't he right? Christ built his church. It's not our work. He builds his church. And so what I see is there's an opportunity to rethink things, get a little bit meaner, like downsize, consolidate, and begin to get back to first principles, get back to mission and a sense of community on mission rather than entertainment, rather than consumption, rather than goods and services, a church that doesn't assume a privileged place saying, you come meet us on our terms, but instead says, no, we're going to go and meet you on your terms. So there's a chance for us, an opportunity to begin to, as we're kind of consolidating our services and some other things, there's a chance for us to strip away all the things that we've kind of overextended ourselves. And I'm not just saying North Rock. I'm talking about across every church is overextended right now. You know, There's no way a church can lose 40% of its congregation, but only 15% of its buildings. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so when you, I just want to just say this. When you look around uh, and compare North Rock to other churches that look like they're flourishing, because... Um, you know, first of all, I just would like to say we almost always compare up, not down, <laughs> right? But even the ones that seem like they're growing, I'm not saying this cynically. I'm just saying I don't necessarily look at that as growth as much as consolidation. If 170 uh, churches are are closing a week, that means that the left everyone's going to health, healthy expressions, right? Like they're consol. It's a downsizing that's going on, and that's okay. But what I'm saying here is we've got this calling to be on mission here. And there's an opportunity to then rethink how we do our life together. And so as we're kind of thinking about how do we get over the mountain, I'd like to say the way out is the way over. This comes from Michael Frost he, uh, in a book that he uh, titled Exiles, how, how we're called to live in a postmodern culture as Christians. He says this. I, for one, am happy to see the end of Christendom. I am glad that we can no longer rely on temporal cultural supports to reinforce our message or the validity of our presence. I suspect that the increasing marginalization of the Christian movement in the West is the very thing that will wake us up to the marvelously exciting, dangerous, and confronting message of Jesus. If we are exiles on foreign soil post-Christendom, post-modern, post-literate, and so on, then maybe at last it's time to start living like exiles, as pesky fringe-dwelling alternatives to the dominant forces of our times. As the saying goes, uh, way out people know the way out. It, it, it's, uh, <laughs> is that stuff from the 60s? Is that the saying? <laughs> How come only Ed got that? Yeah. 
now I understand. Uh, I'm going to go long because the worship team went long, so I'm going to go long. All right. Because I'm going to hit this now. Here, here we go. Um, um, the way out is the way over. And what I mean by that is extending. Not extending like overextending so that we can't do what we're... But like by refining our sense of purpose, our belonging, our commitment to one another, to Jesus Christ, and to his world, then we start going to the places, get out there, and not just assume everything's going to prop up our system and just really bind together and get into the cracks and the nooks. And I'm telling you, people are watching. I, uh, I told the story a while back, but I went on a road trip with some buddies uh, through my gaming community. And these are not Christians at all. they like actively not Christian. <laughs> And we were on this road trip, and we saw a big church off the highway. And one of them says to me, I, Andrew, explain this to me. Isn't the church supposed to be, like, caring for the poor and the hungry and the orphaned? Why is it spending all its money building those big buildings to cater to itself? I said that. I said, that's a, I think that's a good question. And I just want you to know that it's a complicated one. But you know what? There's some of us who are asking that same question in the church. It's not just coming from outside the church. We have an opportunity to begin rethinking our purpose, our mission, in light of who Jesus is as we begin to consolidate. But also, I want to say, oh, I'm not going to give that to you just yet. Um, there's also new like frontiers. Like When I say way out, it's like not just streamlining, but new expressions, new things, new opportunities. One of the things that's just been the privilege of my life is North Rock has, uh, and the leadership and the community has encouraged me being able to get out there and get in the fringes. And I've really f- loved it. And that's a lot of what Emmanuel Fellowship and the idea of Emmanuel Fellowship is all about. And as I was thinking and kind of cataloging what it means as my time here at North Rock ends, but I'm still a part of North Rock in extension, in the cracks, you know, you're going to know that I'm out there getting into, the, into those places, because I'm very much interested, and I actually wrote this down so I could get it right, I'm interested in exploring a biblical Christian worldview that makes sense for people who are not at home in the traditional church, but are also not at home in the secular world. I want to find space for that and create that. For, there's a lot, we're seeing that that's going to be just a bigger and bigger percentage of the pie. I desire congruency, where we integrate all aspects of our life and decision-making and to develop the characteristics of a Christian life lived intentionally within the larger post-modern culture. We're, We're living a life on mission. It's a world that no longer values the culture of the church. But, I'm telling you, it does greatly value many of the things that the Bible speaks about. Jesus still has a lot of street credibility. Uh, what I'm suggesting is that faith is about more than church attendance and even just belief in God. It's really about that secret, unseen nooks and crannies in, the, in life that produce faith 
hope and love within us and those we come in contact with. The whole reason 2011 we moved out here, Robin and I did. The whole reason of that move was because I started thinking about this. And in my weird way, doing theology and doing theology, but wanting not just to do head stuff, but the theology that gets lived out, you know, to live as if what we believe is really true. We wanted to get into the cracks. I didn't have the language yet for it, but that's a part of it. And um, I was reading this guy, Karl Barth, a, a Swiss theologian from the last century who wrote thousands and thousands of pages of theology, dense stuff that just, you go, what? But in those pages, I saw the beauty of Jesus on the move. And that God is dynamic, not static, leading us into the future. And so I want to share with you what moved us to want to do something different. In his book, uh, Evangelical Theology, and when he says evangelical theology, he's not meaning American evangelical Christianity. He didn't even know what that was. What he's meaning is a theology of good news. Okay? Because that's where evangelical comes from. It means good news. In his book, Evangelical Theology, he says this. Therefore, it's the perception... Sorry. It is the perception, mediation, and discussion... Discussion... Ah. Therefore, in its perception, mediation, and discussion, theology must have the character of a living procession movement. Evangelical theology would forfeit its object. And I'm telling you what what he means by that. It would forfeit its object, which is the God of the gospel. If... It would be, and it would belie and negate itself if it wished to view, understand, and describe any one moment of the divine procession or movement in splendid isolation from others. If it just tried to camp out on one component about what we learn about who God is. If it just wanted to say, hey, you know those folks in the Reformation 500 years ago? They really figured it out. Let's just do that. He's saying it's always on the move. Theology, right theology, evangelical theology, a theology of good good news is always on the move. Because it fixes its eyes on the God of the gospel. Instead, theology must describe the dynamic interrelationships which make this procession comparable to a bird in flight in contrast to a caged bird. The God of the gospel rejects any connection with a theology that has become paralyzed and static. Evangelical theology can only exist and remain in vigorous motion when its eyes are fixed on the God of the gospel. That's what we're called to do, guys. Are you afraid? Okay. Maybe a little bit. 
Me too. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Follow where he leads. He's your guide across this mountain range. He's going to take North Rock into the future. He's going to take other Christian communities. He's going to take his whole witness into the future. If we take our eyes off of him, then we put them where? On us. And on all the things that we're trying to figure out and do. And what. But if we just follow where he leads, he's going to lead us faithfully. And it might not look the way we thought. I'm telling you, when Chad got here five years ago, he wasn't looking at this. I'm just telling you. But you know what? This is what God has led us to for a reason. I don't know what Emmanuel Fellowship is going to look like today, tomorrow, or five years down the road. But let's fix our eyes on the God of the gospel. Follow where he leads. And even when he takes us to scary places, he promises to be with us. As the ushers would come forward, we're going to take communion right now. I want to remind you of this. In John, it tells us that on the night that Jesus was going to share his last meal with the disciples, he said this, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Why is God always telling us not to be afraid? Because we get scared, right? And it's okay. It's okay. Because he promises to be with you. Hold on, guys. On the night when Jesus was betrayed... He took bread, and giving thanks, he blessed it, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, his friends, his community. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. Every time you drink of this, do it in remembrance of me. And we're reminded by Paul that every time we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we are proclaiming something to the world. We're proclaiming the saving death of our Lord until he comes again. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Receive them with gratitude and thanksgiving. Do not be afraid because he is going to commune with you even today. Let's pray. God, thank you for your gifts. We pray that we take them in, and as we do so, that we would honor and glorify you with our life. In Jesus' name we pray, and we worship. Amen. Oh, thank you, Lord. I can think of no more befitting way to close this service, our first one service at 10 o'clock together, than to receive that gift of communion together. Amen? That that really is the expression of his love, that he so loved the world that he gave himself on our behalf. 
What a gift. What a gift. Can we give the Lord an expression of our um, gratitude and applause? Thank you, Jesus. You are good. You are awesome. And we are here to worship you. Hey, with that, uh, I know that the worship team had a little extra in them today. And Pastor Andrew, like, poured it all out, man. Like, wasn't that a gift to us, you guys? Oh, so good. So good, so good. So there's really just one more thing that we want to do, and that is recite a prayer that we pray every single week here at North Rock. We're going to pray that, and then I've got one more order of business, um, and then we'll dismiss, okay? So whether you're with us for the first time or you're praying this prayer with us for the 500th time, let's pray it like it's our first. It's just the reminder of who Jesus is in our lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and that you rose from the grave three days later. Let me hear you. From this day forward, I dedicate myself to learn the scripture, following you in water baptism. In Jesus' name, we pray and we trust. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Hey, before you run out, uh, just real quick, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, I'd love to meet you after the service. We've got a gift to help you get started uh, in this journey with Jesus. But I did want to just ask our church council and any of our North Rock staff um, and anybody who's here from Emmanuel Fellowship uh, to come up because we're going to pray over our dear friend, uh, Pastor Andrew. And as a gesture of the gift that he's been to us over these last five years, really, he was the guy. Oh, gosh. I Uh, can't do it. Mm, Can't. All right. I'll tell you about that next week. How about that? (laughs) I can't do it while I'm looking at him. But uh, it's as an appropriate response to his, his generosity and gift, both him and Robin, to partner with us in this mission here. We've got a gift for him. And if many of you guys know, I'm wearing a Steve Atwater jersey. Those of you that are true Bronco fans know what happened, right? He's an MVP. He's in the Hall of Fame now, okay? Or he's getting ready to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Andrew is in my Hall of Fame. Been a great friend, partner of ministry, and we're thankful for what God's done and is continuing to do, Uh, but many of you guys know this because he shares his life with us, that he's a huge Colorado Rockies fan, and so we brought him a gift that we want him to open up in front of y'all right here uh, to say, just here, do one of these things, let me help you. Yeah. It's the new Nolan Arenado jersey for our good friend, so he has something to wear at his Rockies games. <laughs> uh, we love you. Thank you. We're thankful for you, and we continue in mission with you, even when you're somewhere else while we're here on Sundays, right? So as an expression of that, we'd like you to just extend your hands as we pray over him, pray blessing over them and Emmanuel Fellowship. I've asked uh, one of our lead council, church council members, Ed Bale, one of our pastors here, to pray today. Let's hold this minute. You know I can't just pray. I have to say something, but everybody getting emotional. Uh, I'm going to stand over here because I've 
having a little trouble with my emotion here. But uh, how many of you got, have gone through the empty nest or going through it or are looking in the near future with that? That, uh, you know, we've been through it and you love your kids more than anything. Um, and you see them starting to become adults. And, and by the way, please, kids, don't make your kids, uh, your parents kick you out of the house. You know, people should leave on their own accord because <laughs> because that's kind of a natural process of life. And uh, even if you're an organiza- organizational person, uh, the church is more a family than anything else. And uh, Andrew is certainly a member of the family, but... We send him out like the parents that are glad. They're not glad because they're going to miss their kids. Uh, the, empty, the empty nest is a real thing. It gets quiet, and there are things that you miss. But there is joy in seeing them going out into God's vision for their life, to see that fulfilled in their life. So in that, in that aspect, Andrew, we, we go with you and Robin. We are with you in what you do and where you go. You'll be in our prayers. And, of course, uh, you know, friends last. So uh, let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your call on Andrew and Robin's lives, uh, the vision that you've given them. Uh, Even if they don't see far into the future, it is that vision of following you, day by day. We thank you for that, Lord. Uh, We thank you for equipping them, that this has been a time of equipping and preparing. We thank you for where you're leading them. Lord, may they go joyfully and experience shalom, your peace, and prosperity in everything that they do, Lord. We go with them in Jesus' name. Amen. One more time. Now receive this blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Friends, go in peace, and we'll see you next week. Amen. to the North Rock Church Podcast. For more information about our church and upcoming events, check us out at northrockchurch.com or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram.